We're going to be um, in Jeremiah today. Some of you are going to be so familiar with these verses. You've heard them over and over. Others of you, this is going to be the first time you've ever heard them. So we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 14. As you're finding that, the title of my message today is called When a Good Plan Comes Together. Now, a lot of those words I didn't come up with. Um, when I grew up, there were two shows I watched on TV at home a lot as a family. One was Night Rider with uh, the Hoff and his car named Kit. Um, and if you've never seen it, that is Netflix worthy right there. The other one was the original A-Team. Did anybody ever watch the A-Team growing up? Everybody who's 30 and under in the room has no clue what I'm talking about. It's okay. Um, but I loved watching the A-Team. And kind of the cool thing about it was that on every show, they'd get into this jam, this pickle, and they'd come up with some way. My brother, my brother and sister and I called it craft time. They would just start building stuff, and they would somehow get out of their jam. And at the end of it, the main, you know, the leader of the A-team, Hannibal, would, would be chomping on his cigar, and he'd say, I love it when a plan comes together. And um, I don't, as I've come, gone through life, not every plan that's come together has been one that I've loved that it came together, right? But I love it when a good plan comes together and it, and it speaks kind of the content that we see here in Jeremiah chapter 29 10 through 14 so uh, keeping in mind that many of us will be thinking about the new year and things we want to change or do differently or we want to start or we want to stop I thought this passage might be good for us to pull out and talk about today Jeremiah 29 verses 10 through 14 this is Jeremiah writing to the exiles and we'll talk about who the exiles were in just a second but here's what it says it says this is what the Lord says You'll be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and I'll do for you all the good things I've promised and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you. Can we say that together? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're good plans, not for disaster. Some of you just need to let that sink in. You're convinced that God has it out for you. And what does he say? He says he has good plans, not, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. I'll be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. And we'll talk more about that. Today I want to talk to you about goals, and plans. I brought something along with me today that uh, has a lot of meaning to me. This is a chair. Now, this is not just any old chair. This is the chair. I, um, I discovered this little known store called, that makes this fantastic Swedish furniture. Cheap. It's called Ikea. Maybe you've heard of it. I saw this chair in someone else's house and I sat in and I said, that is a fantastic chair. And I went to Ikea to buy the chair. And after about an hour and a half of figuring out how to buy something at Ikea, <laughs> I landed in the aisle and the section in the bin where this chair was. And I could tell immediately by the shape of the box that this was not assembled yet. So I bought the chair in a box that was like this big by this big. And I got it home and I went and I, and, I, and I put the chair there and I was so excited. And when I emptied out the pieces, it looked nothing like the chair that sits before you today. However, fortunately, they included something I usually don't like to rely on in situations like this. Um, instructions. 
There were plans. Now, this was my first experience with a plan and an instruction book from Ikea. There were like 48 steps to this chair. And not only that, there were no words in the instructions at all, just pictures drawn by a third grader with stick figures that look like no human being I've ever seen. So about an hour and a half into the furniture wrangling, I was frustrated. I was about on step six. And I was starting to get angry at the plan. The chair looked nothing like the box yet. I was mad at Ikea for making this dumb old chair. They made me buy. <laughs> I, I was mad at my wife just because. <laughs> I was mad at the person who made the instructions, which were obviously wrong. I was just mad. So I had to walk away. Went to the other room and I did what I always do when life is just piling up on me. I do the one thing I know that makes everything better. I had a snack. <laughs> because all of life is better after a snack or a nap. That's just, you won't find that in the Bible, but it should be. That, <laughs> that should be in Proverbs somewhere. But I had a snack, didn't take a nap, walked away. And I walked back in the room and I picked up those instructions again and I saw when I looked at the instructions again, I had skipped a step and uh, I felt a little silly. And so I spent the next 30 minutes taking the screw out of the hole it shouldn't have been in. And then when I moved this screw to here instead of to here, because who knew all the screws were different lengths? No one told me. Then about 20 minutes later, I got the chair together. The plan worked and you see the chair before you. The problem was I was just having trouble following the plan. And it frustrated me because all I saw was the picture of what I wanted. And I couldn't experience it because I was having trouble following the plan. Here's what I want you to know. This is in your notes. The idea I want to drive home today, and I know this might seem insultingly simple, and sometimes God is that way. Like I said, we talk about the ABCs and the XYZs. Today we're going to talk about some of the ABCs. And here's the bottom line. God has plans for everyone. God has a plan for everyone. Pastor, that's not revolutionary. I hope it will be in a moment because I want you to think about this. God has a plan for everybody. We just, we just read about it. Here's the deal. You need to get this. Christianity and following God is not like an escalator. Now, escalators are fantastic unless you're scared of heights like me. Escalator gets you from this floor to that floor by just stepping on and doing nothing and letting the escalator just move you right along. Have you ever been in the airport on one of those awesome people movers? I feel like I'm a superhero when I'm on those things. You walk like, I like walking on a people mover past the people who are not on it and just flying past them. Christianity is not an escalator. You don't just ask Jesus in your life, do nothing, and then everything just magically appears and happens. There is this interesting, almost mysterious balance between that which is God's part and that which is my part, we'll talk about that in January when we're talking about our series, I Need a Breakthrough. We'll illustrate that for you. It's kind of like a seesaw. and We'll talk about it later. But I want you to understand that Christianity requires, you want to get where you want to go, you want to reach your goals for God or for anything else, it takes energy, it takes time, it takes discipline, and it takes effort. 
This is the balance. It's not like we just only pray and then stand on the escalator and everything happens. On the contrary, this is not why we just go around and do everything and never pray. We walk and we pray and we pray and we walk. But God has a plan for everybody. We read about it in this verse. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. So it means one of three things. Either God, it says God has plans, but it either means God has plans for nobody. God has plans for some people, but not everybody. Or God has plans for everybody. I want to submit to you that God has plans for everybody. God had plans for for people who were very, very, very young, like little kids, like Samuel and like David. And like others that we read about, you know, Jesus, when he's 12 years old, teaching people in the temple, he has plans for for people who, who were very little. He has plans for people who were much older, who thought the prime of life was over and they were in their, their last few days. How about Abraham and Sarah? They laughed. They said, we're too old for God's plan for us. And God says, I'll show you. As long as you're breathing, there's still a plan, said God to those guys. God has a plan for people who know him like Noah, but God has plans for people who don't even know him at all. How about Saul in the New Testament before he was Paul? He was on his way to go murder some Christians. I'd suggest to you that wasn't God's plan for Saul's life. God interrupts him and says, I have a different plan for you. You don't even have to know God for him to have a plan for you. But here's the remarkable thing about this passage. God even has plans for people who used to know him really well and walked away from him. This whole book is written to people who were exiles. They were Jewish people who were in covenant relationship with God, but decided they wanted to do their own thing. And God warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them. And finally, he just said, "Okay, if you want to walk away, I'll let you. And they got led off into captivity into Babylon, present day Iraq. And God comes to these people who were living out the consequences of poor decisions, of selfishness, of sin. And he says, I still have plans for you. God has plans for everybody, no matter where you sit this morning, no matter where you would say your relationship is with God. He has a plan for you. There's a very pronounced difference. There's a gigantic difference, though, between a plan and a goal. Right. And we have to talk about this for a second. There's a huge, there's a gigantic, enormous difference between a plan and a goal, because a goal without a plan is just a wish. We talk about goals the beginning of almost every year. We set New Year's what? resolutions we said new year's resolutions if 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 you're like me and in your job they expect me every year i have to sit down i have to submit goals these bullseyes these targets these destinations that's what we're supposed to have i used to be a youth pastor and 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 every year with my juniors and my seniors i'd ask them regularly what are your plans following high school graduation what do you want to do with your life what do you want to be and they'd say things like well i i want to go into the military or i want to be an accountant or I'm going to go into the medical field. Now, those are good goals, right? Those are good things. I could think of a whole lot worse things they could be involved with. Those are very, very good goals. But then I had to drill down. But, but is that a plan? No. So I'd have to drill down a little bit further and say, okay, well, if you're planning to be an accountant, that's your goal. How are you going to get there? I uh, don't know. Um, I might take some classes. Brilliant. That's a great, I mean, that probably should take some classes. You want to be in the military? What, what's your plan? You want to be in the medical field? What is your plan? You could tell immediately which of those kids were on a pathway to success, not just by what goal they had, but if they had a plan to try and get them there, at least the next step to get them beyond, you know, their plan was not live, you know, being 37 years old and living in mom's basement. That was not part of the plan that we had hoped for them. It's a question that helps us assess 
their likelihood for success. So here's a difference. A goal answers the questions where or what. And a plan answers the question of how. There's a gigantic difference between them. A goal answers the questions, where are you going? What are you aiming at? What are we trying to accomplish? But a plan answers the question of how. Now, before you get all upset that you think I'm being all life coachy and motivational and not depth here, I want to tell you something. The reason why I'm drilling down here is because I get so worn out by Christians who only talk about goals and think God doesn't have plans. God is absolutely involved in the practical, systematic A, B, C, D, E, F, and G of moving you from where you are to where you want to go as he is in giving you the big picture. In fact, sometimes he won't even give you a goal. He'll just give you a plan. He doesn't always tell you what this is all leading to. He just gives you a step. You better understand God is intimately concerned about plans. He didn't say, for I know the goals I have for you. He said, I know the what? The plans. And there's a difference. Goals and plans are both important. But friend, you don't even have to have a goal. You don't even have to know what the goal is necessarily to get to where God wants you to go. As long as you're following his plan, you'll get there. I'll prove that to you a little bit later. It's common sense, but I'll prove it to you a little bit later. Pastor, are you saying goals are unimportant? Not at all, because God has goals and visions and ideas and destinations and targets for us to hit too. But he's very involved with the plan. Well, pastor, I want to lose 30 pounds next year. That's a great goal. What's your plan? What's your plan? Pastor, I want to write that book that I've been meaning to write. Great. What's your plan? Well, I'm going to write this down on a piece of paper. This is my New Year's resolution, and I'm going to put it on my refrigerator until I cover it with a coupon or something else. Fantastic. What's your plan? What's your plan? What plan does God have for you? Goals and dreams really energize us. We talk about goals and dreams a lot, and I'll talk about goals and dreams. I love goals and dreams. We get swept up in these moments of enthusiasm where we feel like we can do anything. We can do everything. But let me ask you this. Have you ever set your sight on a goal and you were excited about it? You said, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to stop this, or I'm going to get there. And then two years later, you look back and oh, I didn't quite get there. I forgot about that. I changed my mind. It never happened. Did you ever get there? Have you ever set a goal that you didn't reach? I wonder if I've set more goals that I haven't reached than I have. I don't know. The truth of the matter has happened to all of us. Why do, how does it happen that you can set a goal and not get there? There's probably a lot of different reasons I suggest too. One is that we didn't come up with a very good plan or we didn't keep following a good plan. The other one, and this one's the one that gets a little controversial. The other reason why sometimes we set goals we don't reach is maybe I wasn't designed to reach that goal. Because not every goal is attainable. And this flies in the face of people who you can say, you can do everything. You can do anything you want. No, you can't. Um, so in 1984, before most of you were born, I was alive. I was in second grade. And I remember that was the first memories I have of the Olympics. And the 1984 Summer Olympics, for whatever reason in my house, you know, we had the, you know, we could get like one channel and we would watch uh, the gymnastics. All the time. And the men's gym, USA men's gymnastics team from 1984 was fantastic. And these guys were huge and they were muscular and they were athletic and they could tumble and they could do cartwheels. And I was very impressionable and I decided that is what I'm going to do. I am going to be an Olympic gymnast. And I was just, now keep in mind, I was five foot two by five foot five at that point in my life. And uh, not the most uh, athletic uh, of people, but I just decided that's what I want to do. And I remember going back to school at the end of the summer, and one of the first assignments that the teacher had for us in class that year was to draw a picture of what we wanted to be when we grew up. 
And so we were all drawing and coloring and everything. And, you know, I was working real hard. It was me on a pommel horse of all things. And there I was, you know, gymnasting it up. And uh, the teacher decided she was going to go individually around the classroom and ask everybody to share what it was that they wanted to do with their lives. And uh, what the teacher did then was give positive encouragement and affirmation after each one. And she started up front with Amy. And Amy was the first one. And she said, Amy, what do you want to do? And Amy had a picture of her wearing a suit and tie. And Amy said, I want to be the president of the United States. And I'm thinking, she eats her boogers. She's never going to be a good president, <laughs> you know. And she sits down. And the teacher says, oh, Amy, you can totally be. I, you are intelligent. And you are articulate. And you are artistic and you're a great leader and you will be a wonderful president. I can totally see you doing that. She goes to the next one. I'm third in line. So she goes to the next one. She goes to Sam. He's sitting right in front of me. And Sam, he says, he stands up. I want to be a firefighter. I want to, you know, I want to fight fires and ride in the truck and have the Dalmatian and everything. And he sits down and the teacher says, Sammy, you're going to be a great firefighter. You are brave. You're courageous. You can climb ladders. You're gonna, I can see you being a wonderful firefighter. So it's my turn, and I stand up, and there I am, stick figure on the pommel horse, right? I said, I am going to be an Olympic gymnast. And I turn around, and I sit down, and the teacher says, um, could you pick something else? <laughs> you know, as... As mad as I still am at her to this day, <laughs> you know, there's some truth in that. Because the truth is I can't be just anything I decide I want to be. But I can be absolutely everything God wants for me to be. And sometimes we start chasing after things that might even be good things, but they're not God's things. And sometimes we don't reach those goals, not because that they're bad or they're horrible or they're sinful or they're selfish. But maybe that's not what God designed for me. And maybe or maybe that's not what God designed for me to do. For, there's just some ships in my life that have sailed that if I decide I want to set my sights on that goal, it's just not going to happen. So I have to realize I can't just do anything I want, but I can be everything God wants for me to be. So let me share just a few quick takeaways from this passage that I got when I was reading over it. Number one, a plan is a step by step strategy for achieving a desired goal. That's what a plan is. It's a step-by-step -step strategy for achieving a desired goal. Now, I love those moments in life where God just bypasses strategy and plans and effort and discipline, and he just shows up and does it. And God can absolutely do those things. And then at the same time, God can also be very much a God of order and strategy and step-by-step -step moving us from point A to B to C to D to E. It's, I, see it, I see it in this, in this passage. I see it in things like, you know, Ikea furniture, it comes with instructions. Chocolate chip cookies have recipes. Navigation systems and, and, and your little maps app in your phone, they give you turn-by-turn -turn directions. Football teams have well-rehearsed playbooks. Successful business people have business plans. Life goal, life's goals can all be achieved, or many of them can be achieved with plans. And I think whether you follow God this morning or not, you'd at least agree that a good plan can help you achieve a lot of different things. But let's talk about what the people in this story, they had plans. You know what the exiles want? They had goals. The people that heard Jeremiah writing this to them, they wanted to be homeowners again. They wanted to move back into their home country where they grew up and where their family land was. They didn't want to live in Iraq anymore. They wanted to be able to worship God the way that they had always been accustomed to worshiping God. They wanted to find employment and they wanted to live lives of freedom with their families. So God gave him a four-step plan. He said, call on me, come back to me, pray to me, and seek me with all your heart. 
call to me, come back to me, pray to me and seek me with everything you got. He gave them a four step strategy and he said, if you'll do these things, I'll find you and I'll do everything I ever promised for you and get you back to that goal and that plan that you have. God laid out a specific four step plan that reoriented their lives to achieve a desired goal. We can develop a plan for any goal. You can set even a ridiculous goal. I could say I want to be an Olympic gymnast at age 30, whatever I am. And I can set up a plan. Step one, talk myself out of it. Step two, you know, stretch really, really, really long for a long period of time. You can set you can set a plan for any crazy goal you come up with. But not every goal is a God inspired goal. God designed plans only accompany God inspired goals. You want God to give you a plan? You're going to have to understand that's only going to help you get to your God-inspired goal. God's not in the business of authoring perfect plans for our selfish desires. I'm willing to go out on a limb for God, but I want to make sure he told me to go out on that limb. There's a lot of times you and I do just risky, crazy things. We get ourselves into situations God never told us to get into. We get attached to stuff he never told us to get attached to, and then we beg him to bail us out of the mess we put ourselves into. I would suggest to you that from time to time, God will ask you to go out on a limb for him. Just make sure it's a limb on a tree he told you to climb. Inevitably, you know, I hear people, well, what about dating, Pastor? Do you believe in dating? Well, sure, I believe in dating. Dating worked for me. Um, I found my wife dating. But you know that about 99% of dating relationships don't end up in marriage? Not every dating relationship was a God-designed, God-inspired situation that happened. And I just want to say this to you. If you're here this morning with a sense of frustration over unrealized and unachieved goals, your first step is to assess if you're chasing God's goals or your own. Because God doesn't design plans for us to achieve selfish goals. It reminds me of a, of a, of a young man I talked to after church service. This was in um, a church that I pastored in as a youth pastor a little while ago. And I preached in one of the Sunday morning services there. And, and a young man came up out of the congregation afterwards and he said, Pastor, I just I really need to pray for me. He says, I'm 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 really struggling uh, hearing what you're talking about today. I'm just so frustrated with God and with life. I've been so unlucky in love. He said, I've just had relationship failed after relationship failed. He said, I'm just so tired of being single. He's like, I'm just tired of living a single life. And does God have anybody out there for me? I'm just ready to give myself away to the woman of my dreams. I just can't seem to find her. I'm just so worn out being single. And I looked him in the eye and I said, son, you're 13 years old. You know, I appreciate that you don't want to be single anymore. And that you're looking at a woman. I appreciate all that. It's good. But you're 13, man. You should be playing video games and looking at yourself in the mirror and straightening your hair. Like, you need to relax. I don't think God's plan for you for today is to find your spouse for the rest of your life. But, you know, sometimes you and I can get just as equally crushed and frustrated chasing after goals that maybe aren't God's goals for us for now. So what goals are you chasing? Are they God-inspired goals or are they self-designed goals? Second point, a plan puts us on a path. A plan puts us on a path. Now, a path is just, it's a course. It is, a, a path is your plan put in motion. You're on a path this morning. Some of you know what path you're on. Some of you didn't know you're on a path, but you're on one. You're on a path, a plan. When you embrace God's plan for you and say, all right, I'm going to take this thing that God says to do, to start, to stop, to change. I'm going to put this into motion. It puts you on a path. 
the path God wanted the exiles to, to, to get onto, he said, I want to get you away from this life of doing your own thing. I want to get you away from being selfish, and I'm going to get you close to me again. I want to get you away from Iraq and back into Israel. God wanted to get these guys on a path that stopped them moving away from him and got them moving towards him, even if it was just one step at a time. And the way we talk about spiritual growth here at Echo is this way. It's on one long continuum. And every single human being on the face of the earth, you and I included, are moving in one of two directions right now in this moment. You are either moving towards Jesus Christ, echoing everything that it is about him, or you're moving gradually away from him. There is no one standing still. Some of us are moving at different paces and velocities, but you're moving in one of two directions. And God said, exiles, you've been on a path for a long time that I don't want you to be on. I want to get you on a different path where you're moving incrementally, step by step, day by day, some days by leaps and bounds, other days just by little tiny bits closer to where I am. That's the path he wants for all of us to be on. He wanted to lead them away from where they were and towards him. God always wants to move us one step away from where we currently are and one step closer to where he wants us to be. Now, if you've ever used a navigation system in your car or on your phone to get somewhere, you plug in an address where you want to go. You on, on, on my app, you hit root and it gives you step by step, turn by turn directions in theory to where you're supposed to go. Now, what happens if you veer off course with your navigation system? What does it do? Recalculating. Mine says rerouting. Some people from Pennsylvania say rerouting. Doesn't matter. Same thing. It has this amazing ability to triangulate on your position in real time. And the moment you get off course, you see it recalculating. It's instantly in real time coming up with a turn by turn plan to get you back on the route you were supposed to be on in the first place. I like to think of God like that. God doesn't prevent us from making wrong turns. He lets you make wrong turns. He lets you make wrong choices. Sometimes, sometimes we would like God to prevent us from making those choices. Guess what? He tries and we ignore him anyway. But I like to think of a God who doesn't just stop the navigation system when we get off the path and say, you're on your own, man. What he says to the exiles is, I've let you make a number of wrong turns. But I am right now in real time triangulating on your exact position. And here are the four turns you need to make to get back on the path. I've always intended for you, friend, if you feel like you've made a bunch of wrong turns in life, I'm not here to jump on and pile on you. You probably already know that you have. What I'm here to say is that God knows exactly where you're at right now. You're not off of his radar. He knows where you are. And if you will just stop driving your own way for just a moment and listen to him, he's ready to give you turn-by-turn directions to get you right back on the path that he always intended for you to be. He did it for the exiles. He did it for the exiles, and they were probably doing, they were doing all kinds of graphic, horrible things. You can read about what they did that got them to this point. And yet God at the same time was willing to say, I know where you are, I know where you went, and you're not too far for me to get you back on track this morning. So here's my question. If you had to triangulate on your exact coordinates this morning, what path would you say you're on? Did you arrive there by following God's directions or by steering towards what seemed best to you? Are you moving closer to or farther away from the goals that God has for you? You better know what paths you're on because point number three, if you never change your path, you'll end up exactly where you're headed. Common sense again, right? But you need to let this sink in. If you never alter your path, you'll end up exactly where you're headed. The exiles in Jeremiah 29 were 100% bankrupt. 
Their families were split apart. They had no direction. They lived in captivity. Do you know how they got there? Do you know how they got to that place of life crisis? One step at a time. That's how they got there. Didn't happen overnight. Didn't happen because they walked down the wrong street one day. The people in this story, the exiles, the people that God's trying to give them hope and give them a plan, they got where they were one step at a time. If I start walking towards this brick wall and I don't at some point stop or turn, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to hit that wall. Is this rocket science? Um, Some of you are looking at me like this is absolute lunacy. I'm telling you. This is the truth. It's common sense. If you don't change your direction, you're going to end up exactly where you're headed. And that works for good, for bad, and for indifferent. If you go in nowhere and you don't make any change, you know where you're going to end up? Nowhere. Some of you need to listen to this this morning. If you're headed in a direction you already know is bad and you're thinking you're going to turn before you get there, You're already headed in a bad direction. If you don't change your course even by one degree, you're going to end up exactly, exactly where you're headed. And if you know that's where you're headed, why are you waiting to turn? Why are you playing chicken with a brick wall? But some of you are on the right path, man. You've got people tugging you to the left and to the right. You stay steady. You stay the course. I know some of you are giving faithfully to God and it makes no sense because your finances are struggling. Stay the course. Some of you are praying faithfully for your miracle that's not coming. And even as you're praying, you're watching that situation deteriorate. Don't turn to the left or the right. Stay your course. Because if you never alter your path, you'll end up exactly where you're headed. You know the first thing to do when you're digging a hole for yourself? Stop digging. If you're making a situation for yourself that's just, that's just terrible, stop digging. If you consistently spend more than you make, you've put yourself on a path to bankruptcy. If more goes out of your pocket every month than what comes in, you're heading in a bad direction. If you consistently entertain ideas of what it would be like to be with somebody else, you've put yourself on a path to being unfaithful to your spouse. If you consistently neglect your health, you've put yourself on a path for premature death. If you consistently neglect to tell your spouse that you love them, you've put them on a path to find somebody else who will. It's high time we stepped up and took responsibility for what path we're on. If you know you're heading in the wrong direction and that you will inevitably have to change, why not today? Here's what God says. He says, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. He told the exiles, if you'll get on the path of seeking me and you'll keep seeking me and you'll keep seeking me, even if you feel like you're not seeing me, keep seeking me. He said, don't just seek me for a day. Don't just seek me for a weekend. Don't just seek me at the end of the service because this seems like the most pleasant alternative of everything else you've tried. He said, if you seek me with your whole heart, then you'll find me. Some of you have been seeking God a little bit and wonder why you haven't found him. That's not what he says. He says, seek me with your whole heart. Your whole heart. That means you have to consistently, persistently do the right thing over and over and over again and you will find him. Let me ask you this though. This is the tough one. Have you ever done the right thing the right way and it looked like it blew up in your face? You took the high road and you went and you said you're sorry and it just blew you straight out of the water? I learned that as a kid, you know, mommy, I just wanted you to know I ate three cookies when you told me not to. All right, go to your room. You're in big trouble. Well, I told you the truth. As if in my own little mind, if I do the right thing the right way. <laughs> no, 
Sometimes you do the right thing the right way and it doesn't immediately lead to the right results. But if you will seek God with your whole heart and you will stay on the right path and you don't turn to the left and you don't turn to the right, if you don't grow weary in doing what is right, if you'll continue to do what's right over and over and again, you can't help but end up in the right place. Point number four. God does not always reveal to us the goal when he gives us a plan. This is not the one we get really excited about because what you will find is that sometimes God will just encourage you to do something. To start something you're not doing. To stop something you should be stopping and not doing. Or to change something you're currently doing to something else. Sometimes he'll just make you feel like this is the right choice for me to make. And you want to say, okay, so what is this leading me towards? Where is this taking me? How is my life going to benefit? What's the big goal of me doing this? That's the why. Well, you know, let's, you know, it drives you nuts when your kids ask you that. I want you to stop kicking your brother in the chin. Why? Do I need to? Because you're kicking him in the chin. Just stop it. Well, why? He deserves. We do the same thing to God. God says, I want you to stop this. Well, why? I want you to start this. Why? Where am I headed with this? Sometimes God doesn't give you the goal and give you the why. He just gives you the how or the what you're supposed to be doing right now. And that's frustrating. The exiles in the story were fortunate that God not only gave them some steps to follow, but also spelled out for them exactly where they were headed. Well, how about Abraham? God says, Abraham, I want you to just pack up everything you own. No small task. Some of you have moved before multiple times. I'm tired of moving personally. God says to Abraham, pack up everything and, ju- and I want you to, to, to move. Okay, fantastic. Um, where exactly? Just, just, just pack up and move. And the Bible has this beautiful verse in Genesis. And Abraham went, not knowing where he was going. I would not do that. I don't like being at Home Depot not knowing where I'm going. That's a man. <laughs> That's the worst. I will ask for directions in Target, but not Home Depot. You lose man points when that happens. You looking for something? Nah, I'm just looking for the specs for the rotary girder. I can't find it. (laughs) Abraham went not knowing where he was going. There is this biblical precedent that every now and again, friends, God will just ask us to do something and not tell us exactly where or why. But we ought not be alarmed by this. When the plan doesn't seem to fit together for you, how do you usually react? I get frustrated. I get angry. I blame people. None of that stuff improves my situation. You can get mad at church. You can get mad at your pastor. You can beg God to give you things or take things away. That's not always the most helpful thing because sometimes the path designed, the path that God puts us on takes us through deserts. Sometimes it takes us through fog. And in those situations, you can't see anything where you're at. Where you're going. Well, let me ask you a question. If I handed you a pile of chair parts and I gave all the parts there and I didn't tell you that you were building a chair. I didn't tell you what you were doing, but all I said is I want you to take this arm and this screw and I want you to screw that bolt into that arm. And you did that. And then I went to step two, you not knowing whether it was step two, but I just said, okay, now here's another piece. Put this on there and put that there. If you were getting the right instructions and you just followed it step by step by step by step by step obediently, what would you have at the end of the project? You'd have a. Do you see that if you trust God to give you step by step instruction, it doesn't matter if you know what you're building or not, you'll get it. 
We get it. But so many of us, we don't even want to take step one because we don't know what step seven is going to look like. We don't know what the box looks like. We don't even know what we're building. The truth of the matter is you don't really have to have a goal with God as long as you will obediently follow his plans step by step by step by step by step. Some of you have changed jobs. You don't know why, but you just felt you were supposed to. Some of you have cut off relationship with people that you don't know why, but you just felt like God wanted you to do that. Some of you have started things, stopped things, changed things. And you don't exactly know why or what is leading you to other than it just feels like it was the right decision that God had for you. Friend, if you just follow obediently step by step by step by step by step, you will get exactly where it is that God wants you to go. The beauty is sometimes he tells you, this is where we're going, guys, land flowing with milk and honey. It's over that river and through those woods past grandma's house, and there it is. Other times he just says, you know, I need you to get up at six o'clock every day next week and spend half an hour with me. Well, why? Just because I'm summoning you to prayer. I told you the story a couple weeks ago. You know, I sometimes, you know, I was having these nightmares when I came back from Haiti about my wife and my son being in a car accident. Had them every single night. I didn't know what to do with that. All I knew to do was just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray that what I was seeing in my dream didn't happen. And sure enough, a couple weeks later, I get a phone call. Your wife and son have been in a car accident. I show up on the scene. My son is asleep in the car seat. Had been asleep before the accident, during the accident, after the accident. My wife's there laughing. Little tiny thing on the back of the car. Biggest deal was having to deal with the insurance companies, which sometimes can be as equivalent with going toe-to-toe with a demon. But it was okay. It worked out all right. I didn't know what all that was leading towards. I had no idea. All I knew was that there was one step of the plan that I had. I was having these dreams. All I needed to do was pray. That was it. But I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And God showed up. And God did what he promised that he would do. Friends, some of you have very specific goals and dreams you're chasing after for your career, for your family, for your physical body, for your relationships. God has a plan to get you from where you are to where his goals for you are. But you don't always have to have a goal, as long as you'll be content to be obedient to what God's asking you to do today because he doesn't always reveal to us the goal when he gives us a plan. You don't have to know what the end result is in order to build something. You just have to precisely follow the plan. And finally, number five. Again, I realize this might be very, 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 very insultingly simple this morning. But number five says, if you will obediently follow the plan, you'll get to the goal God has for you. God told the exiles if they followed the path he outlined for them, they'd have their relationship with him restored. They'd get their homes back. They'd get their land back. They'd have a clear identity again. All that could be theirs if they simply worked the plan. If you work God's plan, God's plan works. His plans are perfect. They're achievable. I love this verse, and it might mean something to you in light of this message. The steps of a... Righteous man are put in order by God. What that means is if you're following God, he will put the individual steps of your life in a chronological and a sequential order. I love the fact that God can come into chaos like he did in the book of Genesis and speak a word and bring everything into order. I love that God is not just a a God who is capable of being very spontaneous and unplanned because he is all those things. And you've heard me talk about those things, and I love it. I love when the Spirit of God sweeps in. You know, because we start with a plan for every service every week. We put it in software. We email it out to everybody, and it has times on it. 
But you know what? We always start with a plan, but we also say, but the Holy Spirit's the author. And if at any point he wants to interject in our plan, he has full permission. And I love a God that can work with plans and give us plans. And at the same time, sometimes he just says, all right, sit back. God, well, what's the plan? You just sit back and let me do my thing. Well, how do I know the difference? You just have to walk with God for a while and figure it out. How's that? <laughs> That's me getting out of that one. Well, how do I know the difference between when I'm supposed to, to act and step up and do something and when I'm supposed to sit back and let God take over? You have to walk close enough to him that you just know. Well, how do you get there? You practice. Sometimes you make mistakes. Sometimes you get ahead of God. Sometimes you drag behind. You don't have a nice 10-step? Nope. How did you figure it out? I'm still figuring it out. But God's a great teacher. He's patient with me. He's patient with you. We all want to get it right. We all want to get it right. But I just want you to remember again, the idea that I'm trying to drive home is God has plans for everybody, but not all of us are interested in knowing what his plans are. He does have plans that he puts in a sequential order. The exiles, they're a great example of people who God had a plan for them and they kind of blew it off and came up with their own plan. And God let them run with it for a while, but the consequences of that, they had some good times. But it led them down a path of being of losing their homeland, losing their jobs of going bankrupt of being separated from their families and living in a place that they didn't want to live. And God says, guess what? I'm still up here. I still have plans. Now, sometimes if you've gone way off the course on your navigation system and you the longer you ignore it, the longer sometimes of a drive it is to get. <laughs> but you can get there. You can get there. But you know what step one is for all the step one is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You might be sitting here this morning saying, you know, Pastor, I'm curious about Jesus. I'm interested in Christianity. But even more than that, I'm interested in the plan. I'm interested in the goal. I want to know, you know, we look, sometimes people look at God as like, the, you know, the genie in the bottle. Like, I want to know he sees the future and I, he's just going to, I'm going to, he's going to grant me three wishes. So, you know, I want to know who I'm going to marry and where I'm going to live and how much money I'm going to make and who's going to win the Super Bowl and blah, blah, blah. That stuff means nothing to you if you have no personal relationship with Jesus. What would be the point of him fixing all your problems and not having a relationship with him? You'd walk away thinking you and God are okay because he's doing all this great stuff when the truth of the matter is you and God are not okay. That's why he doesn't obligate himself to start answering prayers before we have a relationship with him because we'd never go back and do that. We'd live with the mistaken concept that we must just be completely reconciled and okay with God. First step for all of us in the plan is to come to a place where you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The exiles had to come to a place where they say, we want, now there was a different time. Their covenant was a little bit different before Jesus died on the cross than ours is today. But they had to come to a place where we said, we want to be back in covenant relationship with God. Because once they broke the covenant, God had no legal obligation to be back in covenant with them again. But we just have a God that says, even when you're faithless, I'll be faithful. That's not fair. It's not fair at all. Um, but I guess I don't want a religion. I don't want a relationship with God that's based on fairness because I could never have a relationship with him. Because that would be unfair to him. Nothing fair that Jesus had to die for me. Nothing at all. He was perfect. I'm imperfect. He came and lived the life I should have lived and he died the death I should have died. And I do want you to set great goals. I want you to be inspired this new year. I want you to be able to sit down and say, here's what I need physically. I need a breakthrough in my physical body. I want to lose the 15 pounds I've been trying to lose around my waist for the last 10 ab blaster videos that came out that never worked for me. Now, I want to, you know, some of us want relationship breakthroughs. There are some people in my family that I am just on the outs with and I want to fix. I want God to help me Repair that if it's possible, if it's possible. I don't know if it is. People in the room have financial breakthroughs that you need. And, and a lot of times those things form the core of what our New Year's resolutions are. The things in our life that we're most dissatisfied with becomes these goals we want to fix. 
And I want you to be inspired and energized. And I want you to be able to write those things down and go to God and say, God, is this a goal you have for me too? And do you have a plan? We're going to spend all next month, start next week on a series called I Need a Breakthrough. We're going to start 21 days of prayer and fasting on this campus and across all of our campuses from January 12th till February 1st. We're going to encourage everybody to spend three weeks at the beginning of the year fasting from something for something. And if you need to know more about that and you got our e-blast, there's a link in there to the messages we talked about fasting last year. We'll have some books out there that you can have for free. But we're not going to spend the whole month talking about prayer and fasting. We're not going to spend 21 days talking about what we're fasting from. We're going to spend 21 days about talking about what are you praying and fasting for and how can we come alongside you? This is your year to break through some stuff. I don't know about you. I desperately need some breakthroughs. Physically, relationally, financially, vocationally, spiritually. But step one for all of us is coming to a place where we say, you are my God and I am your child. And I invite you into my life. And I renounce the way that I used to live. And I want to start step one of my plan, following after you with everything that I got in my heart. Let me pray over you this morning. Will you bow your head and close your eyes as our worship team comes? If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I am, I'm at I've been making my own plans up to this point. I'm ready to take that first step. Here's your step. You begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You invite him to to kind of trade seats. You put him, for lack of a better term, in the driver's seat and you shift over to the passenger seat. It's an exchange of positions in life. He takes on the role of being the king. And you give up your role of being king and you become the king's servant. He takes on the role of being master. He takes on the role of being Lord and you are just simply his humble servant. Whereas up to this point, you've done your own thing. You lay your hands on him, so to speak, and he takes on all of your blemishes. He takes on all of your sin and all of your error and all of your selfishness. He takes that all on him and when you touch him, you get everything that he is, all of his holiness, his purity, his power, his majesty, his peace. How does that happen? What class do I need to sign for? It's no class. It's also not something I can do for you. You have to do this for yourself. But you can do it right now, right in your seat, just between you and God. He's listening. You just say something to him very authentically and sincerely like this. You just say, Jesus, please forgive me for living life my own way. I've disobeyed you. I've sinned against you. I've stained my life. I want to exchange that today. So will you please lift those things off of me? Cover them over. And I invite you, Jesus, now to come into my life. Not just on to me. I want you to come into me. I invite you into the very center of who I am. And I give you full access, full permission and control. You're now the Lord. You are my Savior. And I just want to be your servant. I do want to get on following the plans that you have for me. I know you have plans for me. They're good plans for a bright future. In fact, I believe by faith I'll even like your plans for me. I believe you do have goals for me. Some you might reveal to me, some you might not. But now I'm fully prepared and equipped to be able to hear you and respond to you and follow you because I have you at the center of who I am. With every head bowed and every eye still closed, I wonder if there's also some in the house today that say, you know, I, I have a relationship with Jesus. It's just not as strong as it used to be. Maybe it's just hanging on by a thread this morning. Maybe it's just a tiny little grain of faith that you have left. I just don't want you to keep walking down that road farther and farther and farther away from God. Why don't you? Why not today? Why not on this last Sunday of 2013 you say, I'm going to stop wandering down this path that I know I shouldn't be on. 
and I'm going to make a full 180 degree turn away from that and I'm going to start moving back towards Jesus. Friend, he's been following right behind you. It might be, there might be a little bit of journeying that you need to do, but you'll do it arm in arm with Christ. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to lead just in a prayer of repentance and I'll pray it over myself. But maybe you need to just borrow this. Let's not wait till the beginning of the year for a fresh start. We don't know if we'll have till the beginning of the year. You have this moment right now. Jesus, please forgive us. Forgive me. Sometimes we're chasing after things that might not even be a bad thing, but it's not a God thing. I don't want to end up like the exiles in a land that I didn't want to be in with a life that I didn't imagine for myself, wishing for the day when I was close to you again. So today we choose to turn away from whatever paths that we're on collectively and individually that are leading us in a direction that you're not at the end of it. And we turn again to face you. And we invite you to reorder the priorities of our life, put our own plans in order. And if there are blueprints that we've put on the table that we're chasing after that aren't yours, then God, we give you permission to just take your arm and sweep across the table and roll out that plan that it is that you have for us. We humble ourselves before you. We need you. We proclaim 2014, should you tarry, to be a year of breakthroughs for all of us in our physical bodies, in our marriages, in our relationships with family and co-workers, in our career pursuits, and our educational aspirations. We need breakthroughs spiritually. God, I want to know you better this week than I've ever known you before. Don't leave me alone. Don't let my heart grow hard. Don't let my emotions grow cold. Don't let your message just be white noise in my ears. I want to be rocked every day by the reality of salvation and healing and power and new life and new beginnings. Your mercies truly are new every single morning. I want to know the God I read about in the Bible. Lord, I want to know you like Moses did, like David did, like Paul did, like Solomon did, like Noah did, like Abraham did. I want to know you like they did. I don't want any day to be dull and boring. Forgive us sometimes for letting our faith and for church to just be boring and a routine. You deserve so much better than that. But thank you for hearing our heartfelt and genuine and sincere cries. And I pray you begin to release breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough over your people this morning. For those in the room that have been wondering if they're making the right decision, they've been following you. I pray you just whisper in their spirit, just hold on. Just hold on just a little bit longer. We know what we read about in Jeremiah this morning, God, that you don't lead us towards disaster, but you don't prevent disaster all the time either. And we walk through seasons of life and we say, God, take me out of this. But we recognize by faith that if you've called us and even if we're in what seems to be a desert or what seems to be foggy, if you've led us into it, you can lead us through it. So God, help us not to just wimp out and flake out and then beg you to take us out of things you want to take us through. So this morning we pray for tenacity to push through, not to tap out. We don't want to break down. We want to break through. I love you, Jesus.